Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father God, lead us this morning by your word and spirit to find freedom and peace in Christ. Ready us to hear your word well and receive it with joy. Amen. What do you miss? Now, I know you're all city dwellers here, so we got to stay positive. That's not typically a place that I go to the positive. So I'm going to go dark, (laughs) and then we're going to get to where we need to be. What do you miss? Perhaps it's family. Those that have died or that you've moved away from. Maybe... You had to move away from those family members just to survive yourself. Maybe it's a place that is a symbol of a season of life that was fruitful and full of growth. Or conversely, perhaps it's a dream of that place, that season that you have not had yet. Even though everything up to this point may have been suffering and disappointment and experiences of evil that you're afraid might be bookended with pain, you're still waiting for that season of hope and growth. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the fact that our hearts yearn for something that earth cannot supply is proof that heaven must be our home. Heaven here is synonymous for life spent forever with God and his people experiencing the fullness of his blessings. Or maybe it's something simple, like a meal, something that tastes like home. What do you miss? What do you pine after? What do you long for? What is something that the memory of it makes you hurt? There's many things I desire. I always long for a well-made bowl of Vietnamese pho, which you can't get in South Africa, okay? (laughs) I've been eating a lot since we've been back in the States. There are a few things as life-giving and fulfilling to me as that. But I also miss our dog, Muddy. Now, I don't want to be a dog person. I didn't want to be a dog person. I begged my children and wife, don't rescue that mutt. And yet they did, and now I love him, and I miss him, and I know here in about five and a half weeks when we get back, we're going to be moving back into our home, and it's going to cause a lot of conflict between Tara and I, because I'm going to say, oh, Muddy just missed us so much, I'm going to take him out for a two and a half hour walk. (laughs) But more closely to what Paul is talking about is what I experienced last night before bed. South Africa is six hours into the future, and I missed being with our church late last night. I took deep, calming breaths this morning, knowing a couple of things, that they had a better preacher-teacher than me there taking care of them. 
that their service was over and that I didn't have to worry about it anymore and that they have a Savior that cares for them more than I ever could and a helper in God the Holy Spirit that is guiding them along the journey with Christ much more diligently than I ever could. But if you miss a person or a people, as is the case with Paul and his friends here, the pain is not one-sided. The, the Thessalonians, that's a tough one to say, okay? The Thessalonians here are clearly wondering where Paul could be. Did they make it to their next city? Did they make it out of the last one? And if so, did they make it out before the transforming work of God's word got them killed? Are they still alive? Throughout chapter 2, Paul tells us and reminds them that he warned them about the suffering that would take place. He warned them that there would be pain and persecution, and it was true. Yet Paul says this about the church there, which you heard two weeks ago with Pastor Goodwin. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. It's pretty comprehensive. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, these are beautiful and encouraging words for sure, but there is something here that we need to touch on that will relate to the end of chapter 3 today. This work, this labor, this steadfastness, are not produced by the endless wellspring of happy thoughts that are pouring out of the Thessalonians. Their root, their root, is in Jesus Christ. That faith, that hope, that love that have been given to these believers are a good gift from a good father that has produced a fruit of work labor, and steadfastness through Jesus' perfect person and work on the cross for their sake. We learn something related to this from Peter in his first letter, in the first chapter of that letter. This suffering they endure is not something that God puts in their lives to prove to God that their faith is real. Rather, the suffering is put into their lives to prove to them that God's faithfulness is really true and that their faith is genuine because it comes from him. We do not need to prove a thing to God. Peter said it like this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christian, God does not test you for his sake. He does 
it to show you his faithfulness and strengthen your faith. He proves to you and he has proven to these people in Thessaloniki that their faith is real and really secure. So here's our big idea for today. In heartache, suffering, and opposition, Jesus is hope and salvation for you. Jesus is hope and salvation for you. I'd be happy to stop there for today. I think that was a good enough sermon. Okay, I feel a lot of pressure off. But we got some time to kill. Okay, we got a little bit of time to kill. So let's get back to the text this morning. Meditate on it if you're a real quiet type. I'm not, so I'm going to say marinate in it because I like pork. Let's marinate in it a little bit this morning. God's word, Jesus himself. Last week, Pastor Ben spoke about the picture, the picture language of motherhood and fatherhood that Paul gives to describe his affections and his dedication to the Thessalonians. And here in verse 17, Paul keeps with this language by use of this phrase, torn away. Uh, this would have been the word used if you were to see a mother having their child ripped out of their arms. This is how strongly Paul feels about them. He feels as though they are a child that has been ripped from his arms. And Paul adds in another word here, brothers or brothers and sisters, to extend this family language past motherhood, past fatherhood, to siblinghood. Kind of like saying, we were everything to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. His everything has been ripped away from him. And in verse 18, we see why Paul believes that this happened. Satan, the tempter and accuser. Why does he believe that? The text doesn't say. He just knows it to be true. And let this be a reminder, okay, that Satan is real. Now, that's uncomfortable language for us modern and postmodern thinkers, right? There's no way that there's some sort of evil entity out there in the world defining how things take place. Martin Luther, my favorite theologian, um, did not think like this. And he has many things to say about Satan, but almost all of them include profanity and mocking, which I'm not going to use today. Instead, I'll use another quote, and it's, it's a good one for our circumstance today. Whenever the true message of the cross is put away, the anger of hypocrites and heretics ceases, and all things are in peace. This is a sure sign that the devil is guarding the entryway to the house, and that the pure doctrine of God's words has, have been taken away. The church then, in its best state, when, is in its best state when Satan is attacking from every side both with subtle gestures and outright violence. In the same way, it is in its worst shape when it is most at peace. 
I think that this is a good thing that Satan has hindered Paul. It's a good thing because it's kind of a compliment to God in a sense. That his salvation so effectively works in people's lives that the devil would be setting aside a person's travel plans to make sure that people are not encouraged. That he would deem it necessary to keep Paul away from the saints and keep them doubting whether this whole Jesus thing actually took hold. In chapter 3, the reason why Timothy, one of Paul's sons in the faith, was sent is told to us. Paul had anxiety. He was stressed. He feared that these young believers would be convinced by sword to shame their witness. Or that perhaps they understood the ploys of the devil to be signs that their faith was too weak. Verse 5 states in chapter 3 that Paul could bear it no longer. And that's why he sent Timothy. Me personally, I don't want to be a worrisome person. But I fear the same thing for our church right now. That our black families, who are told that there is literally no place for them in this world, would believe that accuser's lies. And I fear that our white congregants may grow too comfortable being in their own exclusive culture groups and not minister to their brothers and sisters as they should. Like a parent waiting up at night when their child probably should have been home already. I wake up early on Sunday mornings while we're away right now to hear any word from South Africa, whether full or feeble, to know that the work God has placed in our hands has not been done in vain. I'm still waiting for my Timothy to give me those secret text messages right now. But here, Timothy comes to, Paul's con comes to ease Paul's concern. Starting in verse 6, we see that these young believers have not only grasped this faith, but that it is already bearing fruit because of the work that Christ did for them on the cross. They know that they cannot just sit around and squander this new freedom, but they are called out into their communities to love and to serve and to share that good news. They have not simply been saved from themselves or from Satan, sin, death, and hell, but they have been saved to something. They have been blessed to be a blessing. In verse 8, we read this. For now we live. Paul says, because of the good news that Timothy has given to me, I'm living if it was bad news, I would have been dying. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. 
This is what we call mutual encouragement. Paul wants to give them the same gift that they have given him. A strengthened resolve in the assurance that where the word is heard, and again, let's be reminded now, the word became flesh in Jesus, okay? Where the word is heard, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is the good news. The word, where it is heard, people are changed. Paul hopes just to encourage them in the slightest. And then our final verses for this morning. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that we may establish, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I need to put a bow on this thing right now, okay? I'm, I'm going to at least throw a bow at you, and you can tie it on later. Already in these first three chapters, we've heard the word love so many times. And I do it too. I'm not calling you out alone. But when we think of the word love, we too easily think of a frou-frou kind of love. <laughs> love that we get to define and decide what it looks like. Acts of love that make us feel good after we've done them. Love that is easy. Or love that makes us the martyr. We do not often think about this word love as we're reading Thessalonians as the stubborn love of our God. Or if you've read a certain children's storybook Bible in the last like 15 years, a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love that is made evident in Jesus. A self-sacrificing love that gives away all that it is. A love that empties itself until there is absolutely nothing left. That is the love that they have shown at least some evidence of. And this is the kind of love Paul hopes that they show more and more to have among themselves and among their neighbors. It is a good fruit grown by the Holy Spirit, which is a good gift given by a good and perfect Father. If you have recently tried to exert that kind of love, you know as well as I do that you have failed. We say, no, I did it. I tried my very best. Well, well done. You should. In fact, the whole second half of First Thessalonians, yeah, you got it, um, is Paul encouraging us to try our best at that love. And yet, we're always going to fall very short. Paul doesn't pray that they will try their very best and maybe get it right. 
Paul instead prays that they, and you and I, will be blameless and utterly holy. When Christ gathers you and you are before the Father, your best attempts will not be remembered, and you should be thankful for that. You will not desire for them to be remembered. The only thing that you will be known for when standing before God the Father, the only thing you will be known for is the blamelessness and holiness that Jesus has established in you. And this is what Paul is praying for the church there. You will only be known for the love, holiness, and blamelessness that are yours in Christ. You will not be known for the filthy rags that you wear this morning, but rather for the righteous robe given to you by Jesus when he bled and died for you on the cross. When you stand before the Father, he will see a son or daughter made right and righteous because of the one who carried your sin and your curse. Our big idea for this morning, in heartache, in suffering, in opposition from the world or from the devil, Jesus is hope and salvation for you. And if I can add, for your neighbor as well.